is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey everybody, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 488, recorded Thursday, June the 4th, 2020. Welcome to the program, everyone. Jason, how are you doing this week? I'm okay. It's a qualified okay. Yeah. There's there's a lot going on in the world right now. So, you know, I think we need to start the show this week on a bit more of a serious note than we usually do. Yeah. Because there are some incredible things happening across the U.S. right now and, and in other parts of the world, too. But as everybody knows, there are a series of just mass protests taking place all over the U.S. And people are protesting the systemic racism against black people that is abundant apparently in police services around the United States and seems like it's really built into our entire society. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it was instigated by the horrific and tragic murder of uh, George Floyd. And George's is the one that is most recent and, you know, in a long line of murders and oppression inflicted on black people in America going back decades longer than that, like for forever, basically. And, you know, I, I must admit that I'm not really sure how to talk about this issue. And that's obviously part of the problem and really just kind of not good enough on my part and on everybody's part. But it, it stems, I think, from a feeling that no matter what I say, anything I say is going to be totally inadequate. Right. And on the other side of things, I also think that staying silent about it is far worse. So, and that's what people have been doing for far, far too long. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's, it's difficult to address, but it must be addressed, right? It, it does. And it, it's incredibly frustrating. And I, and I agree with you. I'm, I'm conflicted. Uh, you know, staying silent, not saying anything is absolutely inadequate, but anything uh, I say or we say also seems inadequate. And, and for me, I, I guess the, the feeling I have right now is that, uh, you know, I'm not racist and uh, being not racist is not good enough. It, you have to fight against racism and not just not be racist. And I think that uh, for a long time, I've, I've lived under the, under the uh, idea that not being racist is what I can do. And I don't, that's, that's does, doesn't seem adequate anymore. No, it just, it's, it's not acceptable. It just doesn't really stack up. So, you know, and, and I've, I know everyone's heard this a million times, right? But, but of course, voting is the one thing that you can do if you're unhappy with the people in charge and the people that are making policies and supposed to be uh, elected to lead our society. If you're unhappy with them, the best thing you can do is vote and usher in change and get them out of there. And, you know, if you're unhappy with the people in charge, and honestly, these days, I don't know how you can't be unhappy with the people in charge of the United States. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. You know, you have to get them out of there. Um, and, you know, 
the other thing too is that uh, some people talk about the the protests that turn into riots or or looting or violence or anything like that and um it's unfortunate that that happens but you know if this is what it takes i think to to force some some kind of societal change then so be it it's probably worth it it is worth it right yeah um and the other thing is too, from what I can tell, I know I only have the view through the lens of the media sort of, but an awful lot of this violence seems to be needlessly instigated by the police, which is just so disappointing and defeating. Uh, they're the people that are supposed to be there to serve and protect, but they're basically the source of a lot of the problem. Yeah, it's the police and uh, the people who uh, institute policy for the police and who direct the efforts of the police on a grand scale. It's, uh, like you said, it's systemic and, uh, needless. And, you know, we've had, uh, crowd control concepts for decades where we know how to, uh, work with crowds and protesters without escalating. And they are needlessly and violently escalating uh, tensions and, uh, instigating violence. And it's, it, it doesn't make any sense uh, to me. I don't understand. No, no. And, and it's, it's just horrible. And, and, and as you said, the people making the policy for the police, uh, you know, a few days ago, Trump decided that he was going to use, uh, forcibly remove protesters from outside the white house so he could go and do a, a farce of a photo op in front of a church. Yeah, uh, it's including the uh, one of the one of the preachers from that church was forcibly removed. Right. <laughs> it's, 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 I, I, you know, I can't do it. It's just it's so mind boggling. But, um, you know, as I said, everyone has said a million times, you got to vote these people out. We, we all have to, to be better. Right. Um, so what are we going to do about it? Um, you know, there's this actress, Aisha Tyler, who I follow on Twitter. And she isn't a podcaster as well. I really respect her. I think she's, she's great. And she tweeted out some links a few days ago to some resources that she feels are important and can help. And I think I'd like to mention them all right now. The first one is, of course, Black Lives Matter, which you can uh, find out more about at blacklivesmatter.com. Or because we're in Canada, I wanted to mention the blacklivesmatter.ca chapter. They have a website there, too. Uh, she also mentioned the Equal Justice Initiative, which you can get at eji.org, the American Civil Liberty, Liberties Union at aclu.org, and the National Police Accountability Project at nlg-npap.org. And, you know, I, I think what we've decided to do here as, as our own small way is make a contribution to Black Lives Matter. So the podcast is going to donate 200 bucks to them. And I urge you out there, if you're able to do the same, not necessarily Black Lives Matter, but any of those organizations I, I mentioned or one that you feel is, is most important. So um, that's what we're going to do to start anyways. And uh, yeah, so that's it. I, I mean, I hope we're sort of getting our point across here and, and again, nothing, nothing we're saying is, is sounding 
ill-informed or inappropriate or just straight up ignorant. And I'm aware that that very well may be the case. So I also think it's worse to pretend that everything is just okay. Yeah. And uh, it can't be silent. And I feel woefully unqualified to comment on the situation, but you have to. And we, we just, it, we have to fight against it. And I'm glad that, uh, we have, uh, some resources where we can, uh, make donations and to, uh, to get involved. Uh, so I think that's great. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I think so too. Um, we considered, we considered not doing this podcast, canceling it or postponing it, but we are going to continue with the show today. As they say, the show must go on. You know, we, we're, we're here to talk about TV. That's what we're going to do. We are going to talk about Upload Season 1. We're going to talk about um, The Outsider Season 1. And actually, a quick bonus segment on Space Force, the new Netflix show Season 1. But uh, I think... You know, even though we're only like, what, nine minutes into the show, we'll take a very short break. And when we return, we're going to talk about all that stuff. So we'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Uh, now to get into the main part of the show. So as I said, we're here to talk about three different shows this week. Lots of TV watching has been going on in the Ferris and the Miles households lately, it sounds like. And even though we didn't announce it on the last podcast, we are going to talk about Space Force really quick because I think both of us were really excited about this show and it's now premiered, uh, of course, on Netflix. So we got all of it all at once, 10 episodes. I've binged the whole thing. I believe you have too. Uh, I have. And uh, it kind of leads well into one of the other shows we're going to talk about a little bit. So this is a recent show from Greg Daniels, one of the creators of the American The Office. And it also stars Steve Carell, formerly of Mm -hmm. The Office, and John Malkovich, amongst other people. So uh, Jason, this is a show based on... um, the real life space force that was created in the United States in the last few years. Uh, well, maybe not based on it, but sort of inspired by it. And uh-huh. uh, it's supposed to be a comedy, it's supposed to be a bit of a satire. What did you think of Space Force? I thought it was mildly entertaining. Mostly it was, it was okay, but there were some moments of uh, pure genius. Uh, and the moments of pure, pure genius for me were uh, an early, the first scene with Fred Willard, you know, the late uh-huh. great Fred Willard who has passed on since uh, filming this. Yeah. It w- was absolutely genius. He was absolutely brilliant in this show. Uh, I loved seeing seeing him. I didn't know that he had died until uh, I was delighted, delighting in the middle of being delighted by Fred Willard in this show. And then, at the end of the first episode, it was in memory of Fred Willard, and it made me very sad because uh, I, I love it. And the other, uh, the other moment was John Malkovich when he was getting upset at one of the electricians he was trying to bring into Space Force to go to the moon, mm-hmm. and he was yelling "fuck you" into the screen. Uh, <laughs> John Malkovich—he's a treasure. He's just—he's an absolute treasure, <laughs> and he's a ge- he's a genius. I, I for a long time I thought that uh, he was just kind of this uh, character that was always in a movie. It was always the John Malkovich character. Yep. But that's okay. 
It's like ACDC. I mean, ACDC, I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, but uh, they're, you know, they, they're a one song band. Like every song kind of sounds the same, but it's a really good song. Yeah, they're lucky so that way. I, and ACDC is one of my favorite bands. Uh, John Malkovich, one of my favorite actors right now. Uh, <laughs> but mostly I think overall the show was kind of meh. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. Although I'm not sure I got even that much out of it, to be honest. I was really disappointed with Space Force. It was a huge pile of meh for me. Yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't hate it, but I just found most of it really dull. And it does the thing that, well, <laughs> that a comedy should never do, and that's be not funny. I, I didn't find it funny at all, except for, like you said, one or two moments occasionally. But over 10 episodes, you know, if you can only list two or three funny bits, that's not enough. That is not nearly enough, in my opinion. So yeah, I, I don't think it was very good at all. Uh, although I agree with you 100% that my favorite character by far was Dr. Adrian Mallory, played by John Malkovich. Yeah. He was fantastic. And I loved his performance almost every time he was on screen. And I think the reason he works so well is because he's the one character in this that is the smart guy surrounded by idiots, you know? Right. And that's, that's what I got the enjoyment out of from, from him. And anytime I thought there was something funny, to be honest, it, he was involved in it somehow. Um, so you know, Malkovich was great. Steve Carell, I don't know, man. Like, I've seen him in some extremely funny roles, but he just wasn't getting it done on this one. Yeah, he seemed kind of, his character was supposed to be stilted, but it just, and wooden, uh, but he seemed a little wooden for that character. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't know if he was leaning into it too much or what happened there, but it was, uh, it, it's, it, it did seem a little off. I've, you know, he, there's been, uh, times Bruce Almighty, for example, you know, his breakout, mm -hmm. uh, you know, minor role or Anchorman, he just steals the show. Absolutely. Just runs away with the whole friggin' movie. Uh, absolute genius. But this, he, he, he wasn't, uh, he, he wasn't there. You know, John Malkovich ran away with the show in this case. Yeah, absolutely. Which is something Steve Carell is known for, but yeah, he just, uh, uh it felt, even though he was the creator, maybe it was too much, uh, too much on his plate. Maybe he was a little overwhelmed. Maybe there was something going on. He just, it, it seemed a little wooden of a performance. It did. And, you know, I'm all for giving a show a chance. Uh, I don't think this one ever really found its footing over a full season. There's gotta be a second season coming. I, I won't say any more than that, but, uh, it, and so maybe, maybe it will find its way in season two, or if it goes beyond that, I don't know. If, uh, if Steve Carell can kind of <laughs> maybe settle down, isn't the right word, but just get it together or do what he's best at in this role, maybe it'll come together a little bit, but he, he, I don't think was really great. And the other thing is I, I didn't r really buy into any of the main sort of plot lines with him. Like he's new to running Space Force. He's, mm -hmm. um, he you know, so we're supposed to be invested in him trying to do his job, which I never really felt like I was. He's got these family problems as well with a daughter and his wife. And um, although there were moments I thought 
in his interactions with uh, Lisa Kudrow as his wife, which were were pretty good and interesting. Overall, I was never really that invested in the family relationship stuff either, to be honest with you. Uh, and it's hard to say why exactly, but maybe they spread the show a little too thin and there wasn't quite enough family character development. There wasn't quite enough job stuff, maybe. Um, so, so, so none of it really worked instead of maybe some of it working really well and then other stuff, not so much, but, um, and then the other thing too is, uh, I was kind of disappointed how they turned the science of it all into just a, a complete farce, <laughs> which can yeah. be funny, but they tried to take the real world space force and turn it into something slightly absurd, but I didn't feel like it was absurd in a funny way. It was absurd in a dumb way. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I like, you know, exercises in, uh, you know, exploring the absurd. Uh, what is it? The, uh, that other space something five. Oh, um, the one on, a on, I mean, uh, is it, that's the one on a Avenue five on Amazon. Avenue right? five. Yeah. Yeah. With the uh, Hugh Laurie. Right. You know, again, it's, it's kind of a, in a similar vein. It's just, it's absolutely ridiculous, but, and absurd, but uh, you kind of accept it. And that it's, uh, in for that one, for me, I know you don't like that show, but, uh, yeah. I kind of, I kind of enjoyed it. Whereas this one also is kind of an exercise in the absurd, uh, but in a different way. And it kind of, the absurdity is supposed to be grounded in some kind of reality. Uh, and it didn't, it, it didn't work for me. Like launches were done on the, uh, uh, you know, by the seat of your pants, yeah. uh, you know, you, you switch out the fuel to see if that works. And it's like, no, there's no way any rocket scientists would agree to just switching the fuel that they use. Uh, or, you know, hey, uh, instead of three years to go to the moon and put a colony there, we got three days. Let's do it. Yeah. And, you know, mission accomplished. Like, well, fuck you, mission accomplished. <laughs> there's no way. No, of course. You know? and, and that's one of the... the uh examples I put down here for myself that the science just was, it, it was maybe, it was supposed to be absurd, but maybe in a way it was almost not absurd enough, right? It was like, they were still launching rockets and stuff, but you're right. It felt way too easy for them to just throw up a rocket anytime they felt like it. And yeah. then, as you said, I think it was even four years, they said, we're supposed to put, you know, boots on the moon in four years, but someone beat us to it. So now we're going to do it in three days. Yeah. It, it just doesn't work that way. And, and it's too close to reality for me to go, yeah, okay, I buy it. I just couldn't. Uh, well, I started watching it the day after the launch, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. And everyone SpaceX. knows how much effort went into the SpaceX launch. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, in the first episode, uh, a Chinese satellite or spacecraft of some t kind flies by the ISS and just does something that's redonkulous. Uh, and then... The way they try to fix it, I think, in the second episode. With the monkey? Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm just like, what? Come on, guys. Like, like it, it, some sort of basis in reality here, please. So it sounds like I'm saying it was absolutely ridiculous, which it was, but in a funny way, because I don't think they went maybe far enough if that's what they were going for. So, uh, yeah, Space Force, not so great. That being said, I'm sure I'll watch season two and hope they get their act together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, that's, that's the point, right? 
<laughs> well, yeah. watch watch the whole season and then watch season two when it comes out. Yep. Keep us keep us watching. Keep us going. Yeah. Okay. So now that leads us into upload season one. This is an Amazon Prime show, also created by Greg Daniels, same dude mm. who did Space Force. Uh, and um, I have some feelings about upload that are actually kind of similar to the science and what we were just talking about with the science in Space Force as they relate to this show, Upload. But it stars Robbie Amell, Andy Allo, and Allegra Edwards. And the IMDb description of this show here, Jason, this, this is going to tell you a lot about it. A man is able to choose his own afterlife after his untimely death. Period. All right. But that's not true. <laughs> no, actually, it isn't really true <laughs> at all. It's not even true. <laughs> it's not even that true. Uh, so, yeah, Am Upload, it's, it's a show. It's a comedy also that involves science. Uh, but for me, in this case, I think they did a great job of depicting the technology on this show because... They absolutely 100% didn't take it seriously yeah. and nobody really cares because it's all in the name of comedy. And for me, it worked so much better than Space Force <laughs> for that huge reason, but um, some other things too, but that's where I'll start. Yeah, for me, the, uh, the phrase that, that kept coming to mind for this, uh, for this show is dystopian paradise. Right. And, and it, it kind of depicts what, uh, you know, if we could upload our consciousnesses into a computer simulation, which, you know, if you accept that on the face of it, then, uh, uh, you just, you have to, you know, if you buy into that in the first episode, you just accept it and you move on. And the rest of the ridiculous is just, uh, you know, kind of rings true. Sure. There are thousands and thousands of people, but they're all filtered out from the reality that you're in. So you don't see all that many people. Uh, what floor do you want to go to? I want to go to 50,347th floor. Like, why not? Right. You know, you know, space doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense. You don't have to, you don't have to have everything in realistic space. Uh, and then microtransactions, you know, if the world has taught us anything, the afterlife is going to be a complete series of microtransactions. But then it made me think, that's exactly what reality is, right? It's <laughs> yeah. microtransactions. You know, I can live, uh, I live in this world, but damn it, I still have to buy milk and that costs me money every single time I buy milk. Every single or time. If I, or if I want to get a Gordito Extreme or whatever the heck that, the new product was that they were, uh, uh, they were putting into the reality, you know, you have to, you have to spend money on that. Yeah. Nothing's free. Right? Nothing's free. <laughs> it is. Uh, and, but, but that's the, like the way they depict that technology, as you said, if you buy into the whole concept from the beginning, I think you're really going to like this show, but like even the self-driving cars are goofy. The voices the cars have are funny. The communication between the real world and the afterlife is, is like a piece of cake. Like it's not even a problem. It's just something that can happen. Right. Yeah. And they don't worry about it too much. Uh, and that's it. And then there's, you know, there's a scene where. Someone living in the real world is going to have sex with someone in the afterlife. So the real world person has to put on this suit, a sex suit to properly experience what's 
you know, coming back from their partner that's in the afterlife. And it's funny. It's really funny because it's so absurd and ridiculous. And, oh, this is, and they were showing the washing of the inside of the suit yeah. from the rental store. And it was just, <laughs> yeah. there was hair and oh. gunk and just scrubbing it. So gross. So gross, but funny. And they didn't hold back on that kind of stuff. So I think all that really worked much, much better on this show. Uh, and then, and then there was some good comedy, wacky companies. You were mentioning it like Nokia Taco Bell, uh, with oh, yeah. the big Gordito thing and, and Oscar Meyer Intel, which <laughs> yeah. I thought was really funny. And there was also AT&T and T. <laughs> oh, right. An extra T. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and all that for me kind of plays into really good world building on this show. You know, they, they do little things like that, that kind of make you think about the real world but where it could be going or some of the ridiculous scenarios that could play out. Right. And I think that's all really good. It's not so much world building, it's more character development, but I thought, um, Nora, uh, played by Andy Allo, she's, she's basically Robbie Amell's kind of real world handler. Who's she's there. They call her, uh, an angel. She's there to like help yeah. him get accustomed to the afterlife and stuff like that. I guess we didn't mention that Robbie Amell plays the guy who dies and goes into the afterlife, but, um, she's communicating with him all the time and we see some of her real life happening, like outside of her job, which is to be his angel. And, yeah. you know, she has this boyfriend guy that's hanging around and, and I thought they did a really good job of, of balancing real world stuff with the afterlife stuff in the name of world building, but also character development and sort of really getting a feel for these, for these characters. So all of those things I thought they did really really well and i really enjoyed the show yeah i mean i don't think i quite enjoyed it as much as you did but uh it was it was amusing i mean just to to keep going on that i was i was totally rooting for the two main characters to get together uh and i'm not usually the kind of guy who they they call them shippers you know relationshippers they want to get they, they, they fight for characters to get, uh, to couple up or pair off on shows. But in this case, I'm like, yeah, they seem really good together. I want to see them live happily ever after. And, you know, we won't go on, uh, into the, the spoilers of it, but, uh, they spend more time on this show developing that relationship, I think, than any other one, um, which is kind of interesting when you really sort of watch it and get to know what's going on. Um, but it's, uh, it was really well done and I was rooting for them. Um, but then also there's other, there's other plots going on. There's, um, Allegra Edwards who plays Robbie Amell's, uh, girlfriend in the real world before he dies. And there is a relationship he has with his former business partner as well. That, um, is probably the one that's explored the least. But yeah, they'll get to that. I think they'll get to that for sure. There'll they'll be more coming on that. Um, and, and interestingly enough in the show, Robbie Amell can't really remember the details of what he was doing with that business partner. Um, so it's, it's certainly one of the show's mysteries. Mm -hmm. that they, they sort of play out, but I think there's more to, to come there. Um, but it all added up for me to, to a fun watch. Uh, and again, once you settle into what it is and the style, uh, I think you should be good to go. You know what it reminds me of? 
What? I think this is Amazon's answer to the good place a little bit. You think so? I mean, the good place dealt with the afterlife. Uh-huh. It was bright and colorful and funny like this show is. Uh, and it had an interesting cast of characters. Now, thematically, it's a little bit different, right? The good place was all about um, ethics and good and evil and stuff like yeah. that. Um, and this show, I, th- I guess this show touches on that a little bit, but it doesn't sort of delve as deep. But I can't help but think Amazon looked at the good place and went, boy, have they got a good idea on their hands there. <laughs> we need to do something like that. <laughs> yeah. You know? And uh, uh, William B. Davis was in this too, the smoking man from X-Files. Oh my God, that's uh, right. It was, nice, it was nice to see him. It was, it was. I'm, I'm a little surprised he's still alive, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. You know, he smoked so much in the 90s in the X-Files that I expected him to be dead by now. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but it was, it was good to <laughs> but see But then him. again, so did I. Oh, and you're oh, still kicking. The 90s. Yeah, good old Not 90s. <laughs> Jason in the 90s, everybody. Yep. Uh, the, the one main theme of this show, though, or, or, or what they were trying to do is give us a satir- satirical take on, on capitalism, right? Uh, that, was, that was a big theme here. You know, the fact that there are multiple afterlives, they're based, they're sort of organized on what you can afford. They poke fun at people with limited data plans. All these things are yeah. just like, you know, if you're familiar with the concept of late stage capitalism, this is like the ultimate example, I think. And uh, they're just, they just tear it a new one. They're totally making fun of it. Yeah, which you know, it's a it's a paradise. It's supposed to be a paradise. You're in uh, you're in the afterlife. You're in a, at a resort. You can go swimming. You can go hiking. You can you know uh, eat as much as you want for breakfast. You can eat whatever you want for breakfast. But uh, then again, it's it's dystopian because it's it's capitalism at its worst. <laughs> at its absolute worst. Uh, yeah, I thought um, I didn't put his name down, but the guy who plays Robbie Amell's friend, like the first guy he meets in afterlife when he gets there oh luke in name uh played by kevin bigley i i don't know that guy but boy did i like his performance too he was funny <laughs> so was the yeah, ai so was the funny. ai guy played uh played by um greg daniel's son uh who's he's got like every job at this afterlife hotel and he's always there and he just gets more and more annoying uh, it, it sounds like it would be grating but it's actually really funny in my opinion yeah, good stuff. No, it absolutely. All right. Well, anything else about uh, upload? I think I recommend it hundred percent. I I also recommend it. I think it's a it's a it's a great waste of time. <laughs> I suppose. Uh, but if you have to choose one new Greg Daniels show, upload is the one over Space Force, maybe. And For if sure. you'd if you'd asked me that before, I'd watch either had watched either of them. Boy, would I have gone the other way. Yeah. You know. So there you go. All right. Our third show of the evening is The Outsider, season one. Now, this is an HBO-produced show. It's based on the 2018 Stephen King novel. It stars Ben Mendelsohn, Cynthia Erivo, and Patty Considine. And the IMDb description for this one, Jason, is this. Investigators are confounded over an unspeakable crime that's being committed. So that's pretty accurate. Uh, yeah, it, this one is not a lie. No, that's not exactly. Um, I also didn't realize that the novel version of this from Stephen King was so recent. It was only published in 2018. 
Yeah, no, he's a very prolific writer. He puts out uh, a couple of novels a year. And uh, lately, the last five years or so, I've been pretty much staying on top of them. Like, I, I, I get them on Audible, so I listen to this book uh, as soon as it was released. And there's been uh, two novels that he's put out since this, 2018. Jeez, yeah, he doesn't. Like there's uh, The Institute. I know that one for sure. Uh, there was, yeah, I think another one. But yeah, no, I, I listened to that novel as soon as it came out, and uh, I was very excited about the television show. Well, he doesn't waste any time with the books, and HBO didn't waste any time getting a TV show out on this one. So uh, here we have a show about, as... IMDb said, investigators looking into an unspeakable crime that's being committed. Now, I think this one we will likely spoil a little bit more than the first two shows we've talked about. Yeah. Uh, you just kind of have to, honestly. So um, I will just start by saying that The Outsider, I thought it was a great show. I thought Ben Mendelsohn and Cynthia Erivo are great. Patty Considine, I've loved since I saw him in Hot Fuzz too. So mm -hmm. they were all fantastic, but it's very intense. This show, it's sometimes kind of upsetting with the details of the crime and it can get pretty violent at times, especially towards the end of the season. But overall, yeah. uh, I thought this was a really, really great show. So if you think you can handle it, or if you are a Stephen King fan, or if you've read the book and you want to watch a TV adaptation, I say give it a chance. Me too. I mean, I, I did enjoy the novel and uh, I did enjoy the television show. And I, you know, when we first mentioned that we were going to watch this, uh, I think I might even said, I've even said on the podcast that I've seen this before. This is not my first watching. As it turns out, I've seen the first half before. I oh. never watched the full run of the show for whatever reason, but uh, I'm glad I did because uh, uh, it was good. It, it, it was, was really good. Yeah. Of, I mean, of the three, I, you can't compare this to, um, upload or space force, but <laughs> no, if you could only choose one and you're not like a dead set comedy person, this would be the choice. I think now, yeah. uh, as I said, I think we have to spoil this one a little bit more just to talk about it in greater detail because there's the details of the crime. There's the details of how they solve it and kind of what happens at the end. And we'll try not to give everything away, but just remember that I think there's a little bit more spoilery content coming for The Outsider here. Um, this show, I think, begins in a very interesting way. The first two or three episodes. I think it's mostly the first two because mm -hmm. it begins with the crime. Uh, we don't really see the crime, but it has just happened. And... The show starts with what looks like a slam dunk of a case. They've yep. got they've got the guy. He, they've arrested him. He's played by Jason Bateman, by the way. So yep. if you're a Jason Bateman fan, you get some I am. some uh, good Bateman action in this one. And you know, they, it it just clearly looks like he's he's their man. He's the guy that did this. Open and shut. Done. And then from there. Some new information is revealed and something happens and everything gets thrown into a blender and mixed up a little bit. And that's really where the show takes off from. Yeah. Uh, which I found I mean, really got, fascinating. They've got the guy dead to rights. We see footage of him uh, in the aftermath and, you know, immediately 
before the actual crime. So they've got him dead to rights. They've got witnesses. They've got uh, camera footage. They've got uh, all this evidence uh, that points directly to him. And then it comes out uh, later on throughout the the course of the the first few episodes that uh, there's also an avalanche of evidence that completely exonerates him. Right. So he's he absolutely cannot have committed this crime, but he absolutely was the guy that committed the crime. <laughs> so what the flying salmon hill is going on here? Exactly. And that's what they have to deal with. And I thought that was a great premise and a great setup for this whole story. Um, and, you know, the real story of this show is basically watching Ben Mendelsohn's character try to solve this case and come to terms with information that he is not comfortable with. Yeah. Uh, right. And deal with some things that he has always completely disregarded the, the very idea of in his entire past. And Ben Mendelssohn's amazing. You know, uh, he was, if you don't know him, he was, um, he was in the second recent star Wars movie, uh, as, as an Imperial, high-ranking Imperial official, or right. not Imperial, what do they call them? New First Order or whatever yes. uh, yeah. official. He was great in that. Uh, it's, you know, I first found him, and of course he's been around for a while, but I first came to know him in Bloodline, the uh, Netflix oh, yeah. show yep. with Linda Cardellini and a few other people. I thought Bloodline had a really good first couple of seasons. Um, but Ben Mendelsohn was amazing mm-hmm. in that as well. And he's really good here too. He is, he is really good. He's a bit of a low key guy. He, 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 to me never really goes like full on, but he's also never totally deadpan. He's somewhere sort of in the lower middle range of that. And, uh, it, it works for a lot of these like police characters he, he plays. It, it was, maybe he had a little more range in the star Wars movie, but, uh, but he's great. He, he does a fine job in this show. And I, I really love watching him in, in everything I've seen him in. Uh, yeah. I mean, he does, uh, he does a really good job with, uh, like you said, uh, coming to terms with what's going on. Like he is the guy, uh, that, you know, knows absolutely that Jason Bateman has committed this crime mm-hmm. and he's so angry because he knows him personally and he's gone through a tragedy and he's you know, a typical Stephen King thing. He's, he's a flawed character, uh, that has a tragic past. Uh, and he absolutely knows that he committed the crime, but he also is the one that discovers that, uh, or in, in investigates the fact that uh, Jason Bateman could not have committed this crime. And he struggles with that. How the hell is this possible? And then, you know, even, not even by the end of the, the movie, but before he has to, or the show, before he has to come to terms with the supernatural aspect of this, he has to come to terms with the fact that, you know, maybe he didn't do it. Yeah. You know, maybe, you know, what, what if he didn't, what if he didn't actually commit this crime? And I was so sure of that. Uh, and now I'm, I'm not sure. And I think maybe we have to figure this out, even though it's, uh, it's kind of moot. Yeah. In well, the, in the standard way that, you know, uh, com- uh, investigating crimes that are moot. He still continues to investigate, even though there's no real reason to, other than, you know, ultimately it, it pans out that, uh, it turns out that there is a reason to uh, 
continue to investigate. Yeah, of course. Now, you mentioned Supernatural, and that is where this show goes. And I, I have to admit, I was at first a little bit disappointed by that. I, I was thinking to myself, okay, they've set up this fantastic premise of you, as you said, of he is 100% the guy that committed the crime, yet he is 100% not the guy that committed the crime. How are they going to deal with this? How are they going to reconcile this? And I was really on board for a police investigation show that would have some kind of really interesting real world twist explanation to, to get this all figured out. And I think I was thinking to myself, watching Ben Mendelsohn go through this and watching a guy do his job to the best of his abilities and solve this crime, even though it looks like it's unsolvable, I thought was just going to be amazing. And so then they introduced this supernatural thing and I thought, oh, okay, well that explains everything. It's it's supernatural, so they can do anything they want now. And so I was a little disappointed by that up front, but at the end of the day and at the end of the show, I think they handled it quite well, to be honest with you. And I was, after having seen it all, I can say I was no longer disappointed. It was still really entertaining, and they still managed to have Ben Mendelsohn um, struggle with things in, a, in an immense way and sort of come out the other side a changed man. Yeah. And my first thought when you were saying that is, have you met Stephen King? <laughs> I, I have, I'm, I'm good buddies with him. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Stephen King, everything is either aliens or the devil. Right. right? So uh, anytime you get into uh, anything, any movie or television show, you, you, you can just make an assumption that it's either going to be aliens or the devil. Uh, and in this particular case, it was kind of devilish the devil yeah boogeyman type thing boogeyman yeah <laughs> uh i am not as much of a stephen king aficionado as as you are for sure and many many other people i've probably read four or five stephen king books in my life and as you said there are like dozens and dozens of yeah, them yeah i can recommend 30 easily if, no problem yeah, if you want a list of 30 stephen king novels to actually go and read uh, the stand for one. Of course. Oh, that that was the devil. Uh-huh. Sorry. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> Try not to ruin all his novels, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the Dark Tower series. I'm not going to spoil the Dark Tower series in any way, but uh, uh, pr- please, if you can manage it, pretend the movie doesn't exist and go and read the novels. I, I have read the first Dark Tower book, not the following 15 or whatever there are. Oh, uh, well, yeah. I mean, that was uh, the Dark Tower. That first novel was written when he was like 19. And it was a standalone thing. And then mm-hmm. like 30 years later, he decided to continue it. So uh, I would not take that as uh, the end all be all of the tone of that series. Right. Well, that's, that's fine. I mean, I, I don't know that I'll ever get around to doing it, but my point is just that I have not read as much Stephen King as a lot of other people. And so I don't really have that immediate, well, it's this or this because it's Stephen King that, that you do. Right. So, um, that's fine. I, I was, like I said, I was totally okay with it in the end. It's just when it was first revealed in the show, I started to think, ah, it's a bit of a, is it a cop out? Like, did they go supernatural because they couldn't come up with a way to solve this amazing premise, but it turned out to be okay. No, but that's, that's 
the idea that came to Stephen King uh, was the supernatural thing. It's not that it's a cop out. It's that that was the idea. No, I know. And how does that manifest? Uh, it manif- It would manifest in this way. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think maybe I'm probably a little more uh, forgiving and accepting of the direction it went. Sure. Uh, and uh, as, because I kind of expected it to go in this kind of direction because a lot of his novels will go in. Uh, they, they seem like on, on the face of things, they seem like they're uh, just, you know, set in uh, a reality that where everything makes sense uh and then they kind of twist it at the end but that's that's stephen king the freaking shit that comes out of his mind makes me <laughs> worry for the man himself he's an family. odd character from what i've heard the, yeah just the this yeah it makes me worried for his psyche because there's some shit that comes out of that mind of his that just is so twisted like, how does a human being think of this and be able to function as a normal human being? I don't understand. Well, but he's a genius, obviously. And so he seems to be doing okay because I, I wanted to bring up Holly Gibney, the character played by Cynthia Erivo. And yeah. uh, this, she came out of his mind and she's fantastic. Like, um, the actress is fantastic, but I also think this is a really, really great character. Someone who is hired by Ralph Anderson, which is uh, Ben Mendelsohn's character's name. She comes in as a private investigator to try to bring new ideas to the case, basically. She's extremely methodical, has a photographic memory for certain things, and um, they want her to help figure this out because, you know, for a while there, they've got nothing. And she's the one who comes in and through investigation of her own, determines that it's a supernatural element that is basically committing these crimes by creating doubles of people and therefore allowing them to be in two locations at the same time. Yes, doppelganger. Uh, the doppel- idea of a doppelganger, yeah. So yeah. I thought she was great. And, um, uh, you know, again, I sort of felt like when she was first introduced, I'm like, oh, but isn't Ben Mendelsohn going to solve this crime? Why isn't he doing all the work, right? But that almost wasn't really his role in this. His role was to be a skeptic and to to come around a little bit and develop into the person who could believe in this sort of thing. She was there to push him along in that direction and to reveal some more of the information. Yeah. So Holly Gibney is a Stephen King character and uh, whatever you think of Stephen King, he's got some good characters. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the... uh... As far as the Holly Gibney character goes, it, uh, it, it's kind of along, uh, along the lines of it takes one to know one mm-hmm. as far as uh, the supernatural kind of thing, right? Because they kind of painted her to be semi-supernatural, uh, like her abilities were not really, uh, they could be grounded in reality, but they also had a, a, a kind of a not necessarily completely natural kind of thing, all, uh, you know, Firestarter Carrie, uh, there's all kinds of, uh, novels out there that Stephen King wrote that, um, you know, has characters that are, have supernatural abilities, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and they're not, they're not great supernatural abilities. Like they're not grand, like, uh, an X-Men or, uh, you know, DC comics or what have you, but, uh, they're just, you know, subtle kind of things like, eh, you can start fires, <laughs> just you can yeah. start a little fire, you know, there's not really a big deal. Uh, but then by the end of the, whatever novel. Uh, you know, to start a big fire. Right. Because right. they're pretty pissed off at that point. That's right. Of course. If they can carry. 
so, and also Stephen King has this uh, standard concept of walk-ins where uh, the realities, like there's multiple realities, there's multiple, uh, there's other, re- uh, other planes of existence. Right. And sometimes you get a walk-in from that plane of existence. They just kind of show up and <laughs> fuck some shit around, right? And this is... Uh, this is kind of the devil aspect to it, right? There's a whole bunch of novels that fit into that kind of genre where you have uh, a Stephen King property uh, or novel where, you know, characters come from somewhere else and they have these abilities because they're not really from here. And there's also, you know, aspects of uh, of that where you have people that are from here that go somewhere else, mm-hmm. right? And then kind of gets fucked up because <laughs> they're not really in their own natural habitat either. Right. So this, so all of this put together uh, just kind of uh, makes it okay for me to you know listen to a Stephen King novel or watch a Stephen King television show. And if it goes off the rails in this direction, it's like, oh yeah, because Stephen King, he's done this. Like this fits into his kind of shit. Kind of it fits his into thing, his yeah. uh, his uh, you know shared reality because a lot of the novels and uh, that he's written have a uh, a kind of a shared reality. Sure. Well, you know what you said about her almost in a way having supernatural or superhuman abilities. I I never really thought of it like that, but I do think it's a really interesting way to look at it. To me, she just comes in as more of a a savant really, who, who has the ability to, you know, look at a building and estimate its height within, I think they said a couple of feet, like any size building, which is uh, a bizarre, not very useful superpower, but kind of cool, you know? And easily calculatable, right? Like you can, you can take the average floor, uh, having an average height and, uh, you know, that looks like it's 160 stories. So that multiplied by so many feet per yeah. story. Plus I can see there are, uh, you know, five transfer or, you know, uh, five floors that are for mechanical equipment. And those have an average height and you can do the math in your head relatively easily. If you know all those, Sure, you can do math in your head <laughs> uh, and you can. And who's going to question you? Oh, that, you know, that's uh, 1,263 feet. It's like, well, let's go fucking measure it and find out. <laughs> Nobody's doing <Right>? that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I could have that ability and get probably get away with it for, uh, you know, my son. Tell him something <laughs> sure. like that. Of course. Yeah, you know everything. Why do you know everything? Well, I'm just. Because I make up half of it. <laughs> Plain and simple. Well, at the very least, what she can do is a good party trick then. It is a good party trick. And uh, it also made me think um, schizophrenics have an ability that we do not. And it's kind of a weird, uh, I'm not even sure I'm comfortable saying all schizophrenic, but there's a test for schizophrenia that is very simple. And it is the uh, a, a revolving mask. So an image of a revolving mask. You have this face uh, that you see, uh, and then it rotates. And then when it gets to the back end of the, of the, of the mask, you see the hollow inside of the face. Mm-hmm. But uh, as it turns around and goes to the back, uh, your brain, my brain, not everybody's brain, but my brain switches it so that you see the face again. 
And it's not, you can't see the inside of the mask. You only see the face version of it. So every time it goes, does a half turn, you get the face and you never see, I never see the inside of the mask. Whereas uh, th this test, when they give it to a schizophrenic, they see the inside of the mask. And the reason is that uh, my brain uh, basically assumes a reality that uh, may or may not be shown to me. So because I'm used to seeing faces and I'm not used to seeing faces from the inside, I'm only used to seeing faces from the outside. Every time I see that structure, my brain tells me that's a face from the outside. Whereas schizophrenia has, uh, there's something slightly different where they don't have that, uh, they don't have that mechanism that uh, takes over and imply and, and overlays a reality that may or may not be there. So they're more willing to accept something that is unreal than the normal uh, brain function. Does that make sense? It, it does make sense for me. Uh, I mean, you know, we are not doctors, everybody. So no, of course not. Don't take this too seriously. I only have a very limited view of schizophrenia. My brother has schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, and I, so that's the only real experience I have. I've, I've seen this test and I was worried that, you know, when I saw this test, I'm like, well, what if I have schizophrenia? I've never known it. And then, and then it kept switching and I'm going, oh shit, it keeps switching to an, to a real face. I, is that bad? And I looked it up, it's like, no, that's the normal way of doing it. But a schizophrenic would see the inside. Interesting. Therefore, when they see something that may or may not be real they're more willing to accept that it's not real. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's something that is abnormal or uh, supernatural, for example. So maybe Holly Gibney has something similar where her brain structure or her, for whatever reason, however she's built, she's more willing to accept a supernatural explanation than the standard run-of-the-mill uh, detective. So sure. she comes back with, you know, because of the way she is, she's more willing to accept a supernatural explanation and it happens to be the true one. So she has to convince the normal brained people that it is in fact supernatural. Whereas, uh, you know, the normal brain people are like, no, supernatural doesn't exist. Therefore it can't be true. Sure. I, I, I just want to be careful not to, you know, call non-schizophrenics, the normal brain people and so on. But I know, no, I know, I know I've exactly been, what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, I've been trying to, I, I know exactly what you're saying and hope, I hope yeah. everyone understands that she's, she comes at it from a different angle, from a different brain wiring, really. <laughs> and, yeah. And that's I mean, it. some people are more willing to be, are more able to accept, uh, things that, uh, you know, other people are unable to accept. Sure. And I, I mean, that applies to all different kinds of people, not just schizophrenics, obviously, right? Some people are just more able to accept different ideas and concepts and things. Uh, Ralph Anderson is the kind of person who has always rejected these things outright, and he has to be brought around. Now, he comes around over the course of the show. Um, his, um, his wife is, plays a big part in that, and I thought, um, I thought that was really interesting too, because him and his wife are not only dealing with his involvement in this case, and she actually plays a bigger role in it than you would think or would expect, but also with their own personal tragic past because 
they lost a son. And, you know, the boy who was murdered at the beginning of this series was, was a boy about the same age. So uh, that really plays in a lot to Ralph's take on everything, I, I guess. Um, and, I, and I don't want to sound insensitive, but I often, when it comes to cop shows or detective shows like this, I often, I, I think too often, they include a troubled past for the detective. And, and sometimes I think, well, it's not really necessary. I don't need all my detectives to be these, have these deep, dark troubles in their past that is affecting them in, you know, the current doing of their job. Uh, another example of this is Broadchurch, right? David Tennant is a detective yep. on that show. He has a deep, dark past. I mean, deep, dark isn't the way to describe it, but maybe tragic. Um, and it influences the way he solves crime and the way he does everything. Uh, I didn't really like that aspect of, of Broadchurch. That was the only thing I didn't like about Broadchurch. Um, but here, for some reason, it just works a little bit better. And um, maybe it's because of the supernatural element or because it grounds uh, Ben Mendelsohn's character into uh, into his own beliefs, kind of, and his approach to this case. Um, it's hard to say, but I, I, I just liked it better. And it's the kind of thing that I often... I'm kind of distracted by when watching a show like this, when I'd rather just focus on the detective doing his job and, and solving the case. But here they did it really well, I think. Well, here I think it plays into the actual direct uh, primary plot line of the, uh, of the show. Whereas I think in Broadchurch, it kind of is a uh, character backstory, right? Right. Where, uh, if I remember correctly, and uh, it's been a while since I've seen Broadchurch, but this is, it's, it's more than just character backstory. It's a, it's character backstory as well as, uh, you know, primarily, primarily playing into the direct plot line of the, uh, of the show. Yeah. Like his son was coached by Jason Bateman. So this, uh, it, it informs his, uh, anger and rage at Jason Bateman for committing this crime at the beginning mm -hmm. and is, uh, why he's so sure that this guy is friggin guilty and how upset it makes him because he was the son or he was the coach of my dead son right uh in baseball and it just it uh and it actually interweaves a little more even more than that into the plot line of the whole show but uh it's not just backstory right it's not just it's not something that detracts or um uh focuses your attention away from the main plot it actually informs the main plot. Yeah, you're so absolutely that, that right. might be the difference. I, I think it probably is. One of the best scenes in the entire 10 episodes, was there 10? I think there was 10. One of the best scenes is a scene where Mendelssohn goes to talk to Jason Bateman while he's being held in custody for this crime. And he asks him about touching his son. And I, and I won't say any more about it like that, but the, the, the response yeah. that Bateman gives is amazing and incredible and you got to see it to, to appreciate yeah. it. So it was one of my favorite scenes in the entire 10 episodes. Um, just, you know, showing an incredible performance by Jason Bateman and even just, uh, Ben Mendelsohn sitting there listening to it was a, a fascinating thing to watch. So well, here's the thing about Jason Bateman. Yeah. I've never seen him take a misstep. Every no? step he's taken in every, tel every television show and movie I've ever seen him in, 
has been good. Hmm. There's got to be something with Jason Bateman that's not. The only thing I can recall is that I watched a YouTube video on uh, Jason Bateman talking about his career and about the different roles that he played. And there was one sitcom he played early on in his career where he played uh, a gay man and it was not played to uh, make homosexuality a uh, non... It was offensive is what you're trying to say. It was offensive and he played it up and uh, because that's what was asked of him and that's what the role was. Uh, but that's the only misstep I can think of is that, uh, the, the fact that that show exists. Got it. I was, I was trying to think of the, uh, um, Jennifer Aniston movie. Was it Jennifer Aniston? Yeah. Horrible bosses with him. And even that wasn't terrible as far as a comedy goes. So yeah. well, we gotta, you know, you know, you can, you can direct blame for these things, but are they Jason Bateman's fault? Right? <laughs> no. Is it his misstep? No, not necessarily. Uh, you know, maybe it's his fault that he accepted the role. I don't know. You know, you could blame him for that, maybe. But uh, I every <laughs> when you look at the list, it it is pretty impressive. Ozark is fantastic. The Outsider is good. Arrested Development is amazing. Game Night is an surprisingly uh, great movie. I thought. And, you know, obviously going down from there, there's lots more. And he took a bit of a break from acting, it seems like, for a while. But uh, actually, no, you know what? He's been working pretty consistently for a long time. Anyways, good old Jason Bateman. He's good in this. It's one of my favorite scenes ever with him, though, uh, sitting in that uh, in custody talking to Ben Mendelsohn. So, you know, watch this show for that alone. I'm all for it. Oh, Juno. I forgot he was in Juno. That's a good movie, too. Uh, okay. Um, what did I want to say? Oh, so despite the supernatural element to this TV series, it really ends up in a place that is super real. Uh, the final episode involves some violence and stuff like that, that is not supernatural or unrealistic in any way. And you know, it starts with this horrific crime and it kind of ends with some horrifying stuff. So even though there's a supernatural element to this, it stays pretty grounded and yeah, it ends up in a place that is, is really tragic and really real. So I appreciated that about it too, quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Didn't pull any punches. That's for sure. Oh, did not pull any punches. That's a great way of, of describing it for sure. Um, and it builds up, it builds up to this you know, the events of the final episode in a really great way. And then it's all, it all just comes shooting out. So, uh, what is the last thing? I mean, there, if, if you do watch it, there are, there's a post credit scene on the final episode. So don't miss that. I guess we won't miss that. Oh, dude, (laughs) you got, you can't turn things off too quickly these days. There's always mystery post credit scenes. Oh, there's, Certain shows, I guess I prejudge shows on whether or not they're going to have post-credit scenes. And this show, I did not expect a post-credit scene. Okay, well, I guess we can't talk about it then. Are they setting up season two? Is that the idea? I'm, well, I mean, this is based on a book. It's referred to as a miniseries. So I don't believe at this point there is any intention of doing a season two. Because if they do, they have to write something wholly original. Um, But I don't want to say anything more about it. Go watch the post-credit scene. I just want to everyone to know that it was there in case, you know, you know, credits roll and you have to pee so bad you jump up and never come back because 
that's sometimes the way it goes. Uh, but yeah, um, outsider great show. Just be, be ready for some, some really intense stuff and the supernatural, but you've got a solid cast of characters here played by a really solid group of actors. Uh, we, we didn't even really talk about Patty Considine, but he's fantastic too. And like I said, I love that guy since hot fuzz, he plays a key role in all of this stuff and you know, you got to watch him too. Yep. All right. Uh, there you go. So three shows, space force, bad upload. Good. The outsider. Great. There you go. I think that kind of boils it down. We could have made this a lot shorter and just said that. (laughs) All right. Um, you know what, Jason, I didn't have a chance to figure out what we are doing next time on the podcast. So unfortunately I don't have anything to announce right now. Uh, but I think what we'll probably do is, well, I don't know, pick a, pick a movie, maybe review it on I just haven't made that choice yet. So I don't have anything coming up next time, but please don't be discouraged. Everyone stick with us. There will be another episode of this podcast coming soon. And, uh, I hope you look forward to it as much as we do, uh, recording it. So, yeah. Cool. So that's everything until then. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, I should let you know how to do that. You can visit talkingdeadpodcast.com, click on send voicemail at the top and record a message right into your computer or phone. And, uh, that will get emailed to us. That is a great way. We love getting people's actual voices on the show. Um, you can also, uh, just record a message on your, like the voice memo app on your phone and send that in as well. That's a really good way of doing it because it yields pretty good quality. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead, or you can simply email us at talking dead podcast at gmail.com. Uh, all right. So we look forward to hearing from everybody. If you have any thoughts on the shows that we talked about today, if you want to agree with us or disagree and tell us how wrong we are about anything we, we said here about these shows, I'd love to hear it. And maybe we'll do some follow up on a future episode, but until that future episode, Uh, That's going to do it for today. So uh, thanks for listening. And my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao, ciao.